Blonde Podcast. I am Christina McGinnis, the founder of KCM Connect, the Bottled Blonde, and a fashion blogger. The Bottled Blonde Podcast is a millennial's guide to leveling up in business, dishing on our latest dating adventures, personal development, hashtag self-care, and sipping on some fun AF cocktails. To break it down, booze, boys, beauty, and business. If you want it, we got it. Hello, babes. It's Christina McGinnis, um, the co-founder of The Bottled Blonde, KCM Connect, and the fashion and lifestyle blog, ChristinaMcGinnis.com. Guys, what is up? How are you? This week, we have sex with Jess on, and I am just jazzed all around. I want to bring more just dating, relationship advice to the table for you guys. And I feel like having different relationship experts on is the perfect way to do that. We talk about stuff that, to be honest, maybe I was living under a rock. I'm not sure what the issue was, but we talked about like sex cruises. I didn't even know there was like such a thing as a sex cruise. Maybe I haven't researched it. Don't know what the deal is, but I loved it. And I'm super excited to read her book. I feel like she's just so knowledgeable in the relationship space and brings so many good things to the table. So guys, speaking of relationships, my relationships are pretty much at a standstill. So if you guys didn't hear on my Instagram at Christina Catherine McGinnis, I am officially moving to LA. And I went over that, I think in the episode last week. And so it's kind of like a weird realm that I'm in at the moment because I don't necessarily want to date anybody because I'm moving. So that's kind of what's happening in my dating life. We've gotten some of the funniest stories from you guys, whether it's like Tinder profiles or screenshots of things on the Bottled Blonde Instagram. So freaking keep sending them. I'm honestly just going to make a tab so you guys can go hunt through there. So freaking funny. I wanted to do a little question of the week. So we're going to start these every week. You guys can submit your questions to us. This week is all about relationships. So you guys asked me what my biggest relationship tip was. And I'm like, dang, I'm like not in a relationship. Am I the person to ask? Not really sure. I feel like my biggest tip though in any relationship that I've been in is to not rely on the other person. The moment that I'm like, oh, Timmy's going to come with me to the store and we're going to go on vacation together. Like, no, bitch. Don't expect Timmy to want to go do all of those things. Like, Include your girlfriend, spend time apart. Like when you become so reliant on one person, then I think you go nuts. And then they're kind of your buddy. And then when you exit or like the relationship breaks up or whatever, you're screwed. Because you're like my buddy that I've had for the last six, eight, whatever, how many months or even years is vanished. So you're like, crap, what do I do? So I think to not be so reliant on one person, huge tip that I've done. And I'm pretty like independent. So (laughs) I bet in the past I've been super dependent in relationships and like, it's a no go. You got to be an independent woman. So I think that's my biggest tip today. Our drinking word is going to be sex seemed fitting. And right now I am literally sipping on some Don Francisco's coffee. I was struggling guys. So for Memorial day, I hit it a little too hard 
I was extremely hungover yesterday. So I'm like still recovering. Like alcohol doesn't need to enter the body for the next few days, but I hope you babes are doing well. I love chatting with all of you. So anytime you have comments, questions, concerns, want to just hang, slide into the DMs, bottled blonde. I love hearing from you babes. And let's jump right into the episode. Jessica O'Reilly is a sex and relationship expert with a background in education. Her research and passion involves teacher training in sexual health, and she volunteers in schools and universities to bring better sex and relationship education to students across Ontario. Jess is also a television personality, author, podcast host, and international speaker who has facilitated hundreds of corporate workshops and retreats in 35 countries from Lebanon to Costa Rica. You guys are going to love this episode. Hello, woohoo! We're so excited. Jess is on with us today and she is a sex therapist. We've been wanting to have someone in this field for so long. And when I came across your Instagram, me and my creative director were like, she is perfect. She's You're gorgeous, number one. But you've done so many things from being on like Playboy TV and traveling the world. We chatted a little bit about this, kind of how quarantine has put a little bit of a damper in some things that you were supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be in France right now, right? Yes, the south of France, just looking at Pomeranians. Oh it's full of Pomeranians down there. That's what I was looking forward to most is the Pomeranians and the work. The work, the wine, oh the cheese, and the palms. I have never been over there, but I have wanted to. That would be, that's a dream for me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I'd love to dive into like how you got started as a sex therapist, just to give people like your background. Yeah, absolutely. So I was actually a high school teacher and I saw the gaps in the system. So my young people were coming to me in unhealthy relationships with unplanned pregnancy, not knowing where to go for STD testing. And Really, what I saw was that the teachers, as teachers, we weren't even given the supports to support our students. So I went back to school. I did research in supporting teachers to deliver more effective sex ed. And now I work in in sexology, which is sort of an an umbrella term. And I work mostly with groups of entrepreneurs and CEOs, so mostly people who are self-employed and their partners. So folks who want to invest in their relationship just as seriously as they invest uh, invest in their business. So yeah, I, I love it. And I still volunteer in the schools and do some training for the teachers. But my background's in education. It was obviously an accident. Like I, I didn't know I'd become a sexologist. I didn't even know the word existed, I think, until I was, you know, in my in my program studying. But I feel like that's perfect. That's like kind of the perfect lead for you because to be able to teach people and like guide them through things is like how, especially in relationships and high school, So what did you have, like, were there certain certifications that you needed to get to become a sexologist? So it, yes, I believe there were, I don't remember exactly what they were right now that you have to do. So there are different certifications. So in America, there's ASEC, the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, and you can become certified by them, but you don't have to. So many sex therapists go that route. So I was, I was teaching on the weekend, actually, I was teaching sex therapists or people who are becoming sex therapists with a a school called Modern Sex Therapy Institute. So if people are interested, they can check that out. And so you can get certified or, you know, you can do a regular psychology, you can become a psychologist, you can become a, a clinical counselor, a marriage and family therapist, and this, and then specialize. And then some people are educators. There are brilliant, brilliant minds who are more focused on the sex education side. So there's there are so many thousands of people in our field doing really interesting work. That's amazing. 
So I went on my Instagram stories and I had some questions for you. The first one was, how did right. you get involved with Playboy TV? Oh, you know what? It's so funny. They had a show about swingers and they had a host and someone who did the counseling and they wanted to combine it into one because I guess the host couldn't do the counseling and the counselor couldn't host the show. So they just yeah. pulled me in second season. And I swear to God, I did a Skype audition and four days later I was in LA shooting. So that's if you know anything crazy. about television, you know, that's not how it works, right? Usually yeah. it's like you're pitching shows and you're waiting and you're waiting and you can have a contract in hand and they can cancel it the next day. But this was just, you know, like this 96 hour process from the phone call to set. So it was a very, very cool project. It, it was a show just to give people a background about swingers. And every weekend uh, they were living in this beautiful house in the hills of Hollywood or Vegas some seasons. <laughs> and <laughs> Every weekend, I'd bring in a couple who thought they might want to try swinging, and I'd kind of walk them through the process, and they'd give it a try and see if it was a fit for them. Very cool. Very cool concept, honestly. That is, that's awesome. So speaking of swinging, do you feel like this is just, I have listened to like Aubrey Marcus and just like other people talk about open relationships. Do you think open relationships actually work? Oh, of course. Of course. I think they they work and they fail, just like monogamy continues to work and fail. You know, if you look at the statistics around so-called monogamous relationships, you've got a, a 24% admitted infidelity rate. So that's lower than what it is. So we're looking at a quarter of relationships. We've got a, you know, it's hard to estimate crude divorce rates, but around the 41% mark with all divorce rates across the globe climbing. And so, and then marital satisfaction rates, of, of course, declining. So if you look at low satisfaction, high infidelity, high relationship dissolution. Monogamy fails a whole lot too. And certainly consensual non-monogamy can also fail. But absolutely. And there, there are so many different types of consensual non-monogamy. And, uh, you know, there are people who are swingers. There are people who are polyamorous. There are people who have, you know, more of a flexible arrangement. And I think what's most important not most important, but one of the key things to making a relationship work is that you really have considered all your options and you opt in. So I think a big part of why monogamy fails so often is that people just assume that's what they need to be. And, and some people aren't cut out for that. And I, I mean, I can actually tell you the data shows that if you compare monogamous relationships to consensually non-monogamous relationships and you look at different outcomes like passion and commitment and trust and jealousy, they're basically the same between the two. So whether or not you are monogamous or consensually non-monogamous really doesn't necessarily determine the quality of the way you communicate, your intimacy, the way the way you have sex, the way you express vulnerabilities and develop emotional literacy. So you can do those things really well when you're monogamous and when you're consensually non-monogamous, or you can do them really badly, like regardless of what type of relationship you you take on. So for someone who's like, I don't know, wanting to dip their toe into, let's say, swinging or being in an open relationship, what's the first step? Oh, good question. So you want to be thinking about your sexual values. So I think no matter what type of relationship you're into, I think that considering your sexual values is really important. So what does sex mean to you? What are the emotional, physical, psychological, mental, social, relational components of sex that matter to you? Like, have you even, most of us have never even began to Thought explore. 
No. Right. And so I, I have a new book. It's called The Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay. And in that book, we help you to like, it's called Seduction and Foreplay, but it's really just about sex and erotic theory. And we give you hundreds of prompts like the ones I've just given you to really yeah. start exploring what sex means to you. Like, what does a fulfilling sex life look to you? What does a fulfilling relationship look like to you? What what puts you in the mood for sex? What puts you out of the mood for sex? How do you like to feel emotionally before, during, after? How do you want to feel physically before, during, after? How do you want to feel relationship? I mean, it goes on and on and yeah. on. And Oh my gosh, I know, need to read it. After I read the book, you're coming back on. <laughs> I have to send it to you because I think the, and it's co-authored by the way, with Marla Renee Stewart, who's brilliant. And yeah, we really just need to do more considering of what our values are. And then you can bring that to the table in a relationship and say, you know what? I've been thinking about whether or not I'm more inclined to monogamy or more inclined to consensual non-monogamy. Here is why, here are the benefits, but it's not a one-time conversation. Like I think people, you know, I have lists that I can I can send you of questions yeah. to consider, but these questions are just the beginning. Like if you think of as a th- from a therapeutic perspective, one of those questions might be one session, and you don't necessarily need a therapist. Let me be clear. Like if if you feel you could use the help of a therapist, then by all means start there. But you can also start with community. You can join consensual non monogamy meetups and have conversations about what this looks like. You can read books like Tristan Taumino's Opening Up. Like there are all these different options. And what what I think is most important is that you consider consensual non-monogamy before you opt into monogamy. And and it's not because it's more important. It's because monogamy is the default. Like most of us just get into monogamy. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important that we say, you know what? All things considered, monogamy is for me. It's really, I've thought about it and it's what I want. But when you fall into it as a default, that's why I think it fails so often. I would totally agree with that. I think that that's so, such an interesting way of thinking about things. For me, like personally, I don't know if I could do a non-monogamous relationship, but I, I'm i super like interested in just like learning all about polyamorous things and like open relationships. I feel like if it works for you, that is so, it's amazing. And I think that it needs to be talked about more because I feel like there's this really like weird realm of it being so taboo that people are like, wow, those people... And in other words, are like freaks because they like that. But Portland, where I live, is pretty open to that. (laughs) Portland is like, I've seen the the, the whole range. So, but I think it's cool. Hopefully, like younger people are getting a little bit more in tune with like, this is what happens. Like, this is kind of like the new wave. And it's not something that is crazy if you're interested in considering it. No, and I think, I mean, like we have some some data suggesting that, that one in five dating Americans has tried some form of consensual non-monogamy. Like I think younger people are just so much more open to having conversations, certainly less judgmental. Like what you're saying, it's not for me, but I think it's interesting for other people and I'm glad it's there for other people. Whereas I do think that in, in you know, years gone by, there was mm-hmm. a fear factor that made that made people say things like, oh, they're freaks or oh, they're messed up or yeah. oh, that's going to break up their relationship. But now we get that, oh, you know what? If I were to do that, it wouldn't work for me. But I, I fully understand that what works for me wouldn't work for somebody else. And I think that, you know, younger folks are better at just embracing this this diversity or spectrum of how we can arrange relationships and how we can embrace sexuality. Yeah, no, I love that. For people kind of in our millennial age age range, I feel like there's like three sectors in a way of like the single, the married, or maybe potentially like divorced. 
what do you see as the common issue with those categories in like dating or marriage? If there is like one that you can think of, or maybe the most common issues. I think it has to do with expectations, expecting a partner to fulfill your needs when in fact, you know, you have to create, if you want to feel a certain way, ultimately you have to make yourself feel that way. There is this notion that you have to compromise so much in relationships that you really attend to everything the other person needs. And that's just unrealistic. We sit here waiting to have our needs fulfilled by someone else when ultimately, yes, they can fulfill some of our needs, but they can't attend to every social, sexual practical, intimate, you know, erotic, spiritual, a a relational need we have. So I think that when we're dating, sometimes our expectations are too high. We're like, well, we can't be with that person because, and when we're together, we're frustrated with the partner because they're not doing something, but maybe you have to adjust your expectations, right? You cannot, you can ask for anything you want. You can talk about your needs, but you can't expect your partner to oblige all of them. And so, and, and similarly, you know, if, if you look at folks who are divorced, oftentimes we weren't talking about our expectations from the onset. So my goal, like in my work, what I'd love to see is everyone who's dating, everyone who's thinking of moving in together, having these conversations about sex, money, kids, in-laws, ethnocultural values, politics. So I have a course online. It's a 50 exercise course and it's 50 conversations for couples like that rather than waiting until you have, have fights about money. Or, you know, right now, like if you look at older people with kids, they're fighting about how to homeschool their kids. Like, why not have these type of conversations before the issues arise? And too, it's so interesting. I feel like people almost get in patterns. Like if you're living with someone, it's like, hey, how's your day? Instead of talking about like things that actually matter, we got these little book or like it's a little, it's like a card set and it's like conversation starters for couples. And my parents actually got it. And you pull them and they're like deep questions that Mm -hmm. like, you're not normally going to bring up unless you're fighting most of the time. Exactly. But but it's so interesting that it's like, we've almost become as couples, as dating, this like really surface level every day, instead of being like, okay, I don't want somebody. I want this person. And I feel like there's like that little bit of a gap, especially in like the dating realm of being like, I just want someone to cuddle at night versus like, this is the person that I want to spend my time with. Right. Right. Yeah. That emotional piece is so important. So outside of sex, because sex is super important. I would hundred percent agree with that. What are your tips for keeping like the spark alive in a relationship? Oh, well, I mean, you have to spend time apart. I think that a lot of newlywed couples kind of get into the habit of like, oh, we need to go to Home Depot on Saturday. No, you don't both need to go to Home Depot, right? You probably, if you're single, you see that in your couple friends that they become this kind of couple cocoon. And there is nothing wrong with you know, going along to support a partner at something, but you really need, you need time apart to develop as individuals as well and have space for growth. So that that's one piece of it. The other piece is, is the conversation and really not drawing our expectations from what we've seen, what we've seen from our parents, what we see on TV, you know, in relationships are an area where you never really get a glimpse into what's going on. You can think a couple is so happy and then all of a sudden they're, they're breaking up. And so yeah. in the absence of seeing real live relationships intimately, most of us have really only seen our parents, right? Yeah. And then we're, you know, ch- trying not to be like them in many ways. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, definitely. You know, <laughs> that's all we've seen. We, we, in the absence of real relationship models, we tend to turn 
to popular culture and draw norms from there. And we don't realize we're doing it. It's just it's the only place we're seeing it. And so I think we need to adjust our expectations and really understand that that the way you make a relationship work is very bespoke. It is entirely custom designed and you, you can learn from other people and be inspired from other people. But if something works for you and it seems really weird, that's okay right? It's okay to fall into the norm and it's okay to create your own norm. And I think that's a really important piece for, for couples of all ages. So for someone who like, let's say they're like, hmm, is sex therapy for me? Like, what is the type of person? Because I think therapy is more common, but it being like, mm-hmm. okay, sex therapy, what, what exactly should you expect at your first session? And like, who should look into sex therapy? Well, sex therapy is a lot like any other talk therapy. You know, they're, they're going to probably ask you, you know, what brought you in? And then some therapists will have a formal intake procedure where they'll take a full sexual history. I think that's becoming less common. I think with young people, and I tell people to advocate for themselves, tell your therapist what you want. If you don't want to delve into your childhood, you do know best. Okay. I know sometimes we're avoiding things and we have to address those avoidance behaviors. Yeah. But if you want to, you know, For example, I think people think if I go to therapy, I'm going to lie on a couch for 30 sessions and, you know, hash up every emotion I've ever felt. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can go and say, you know what? I'm really doing well at this. I'm struggling with this. I'd love your help with this. And, you know, sometimes therapists will keep asking questions of you and that's good. But you can Mm -hmm. also turn to them at a point and say, you know what? I'd love your insight on this. And I'd love to get your insight as to what you what you would tell your best friend. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I think therapy is what you make it. And it's really important. We know that the therapeutic alliance is the most important factor in terms of outcomes for therapy. So I think it's important to try and see if you can get on a phone call to make sure it's a good fit. Uh, some therapists will offer like a free short session to make sure it's a good fit and to to do the work in between. So one thing I tell people with my book is you can go through all this stuff on your own or you can even take it and say, hey, you know what? I'd like you to help facilitate this conversation with me or with my partner for this session and go through the questions, use them as a guideline. Like they're not a perfect formula. It's not a gospel, but you know, therapy can can be lots of different things. You're going to have sex therapists who focus on cognitive behavioral therapy, emotionally focused therapy. Some sex therapists will do more art therapy. You know, I was chatting with a friend yesterday and her therapist had her draw how she sees herself versus how she sees the world see her. So there are all these different approaches and modalities. And yeah, it really is about finding what works for you. I love that. So if I'm like, what's the typical, so is it, it's a lot like therapy in a sense is like what I'm, is what I'm getting. Like it's very, very similar to therapy. Yeah, they they have a therapist background, right? Like they might be a marriage and family therapist and they specialize in sex or a social licensed clinical social worker specialize in sex. They might be a psychologist who specializes in sex. So yeah, maybe people have this fear that, you know, a sex therapist is going to like, I don't know, make them act something out or make them do something hands-on. Now there are surrogate therapists and I hope I'm getting the language right. So more hands-on body work. And there, there's some evidence that, 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 these are indicated in some cases, like with, what did I look at? Oh, I looked at a study on vaginismus. So vaginismus is when the muscles contract so severely that you can't put anything inside the vagina. It actually feels like you're hitting a brick wall. And they looked at talk therapy where you went home and did your homework with your 
romantic partner or intimate yeah. partner. And then they looked at talk therapy in conjunction with a sexual surrogate who actually did the work with you. And the outcomes were more positive in this specific study for those who worked with a surrogate. So there are all these options, but most people are going to see a sex therapist that is basically a therapist with training in sex. And the fact is every therapist should have training in sex. And it's because sex is an issue for all of us. And, and whether you're having lots of it or having none of it, whether you're mm-hmm. highly sexual or you, or you consider yourself asexual. So I think that it's really a shame that therapy programs more generally don't include more comprehensive mandatory training in sex. What is like being in the industry for so long? What is like your most fascinating case you've worked with? Like, cause I feel like you have been and like heard so many different people across the board. Like what is like yeah. one that sticks out to you? Well, I can tell you a question that sticks out to me more than a case. So I had this woman come up to me and I was at a, like a sex type resort, this place called Desire Resorts. And, and you can have sex down like in different areas and you can go naked. It's very cool. It's down in Mexico. So interesting. Wow. Yes. It's, Wait, where yeah, in Mexico? It's near Cancun. So in Puerto Morelos, okay. they have two locations and they have cruises. Like I'm supposed to go on a cruise actually next week with them in Europe, but it's canceled now. I, this woman comes up to me and let me just be clear. Most of, most of desire is very accessible. Like I, I think most people could go there and, you know, be comfortable because you don't have to do anything. You don't have to see anything. Some people just go for the romance of it. Some people go because they like to be naked. Some people like the voyeurism, the exhibitionism. So this is more of a, an edgy case, but she comes up to me and she says something like, and I can't remember now she's, I'm seven months pregnant and I can't do DP can you help me with DP? And I said, DP, she says, double penetration. She's like, I can't find an angle where my belly isn't in the way for double penetration. So I mean, like, we don't get trained in that. There's no book, there's no study. I'm like, well, I don't know. I guess you just have to figure out where your belly goes and where that one person angles and where the other person angles, or maybe you have to take a couple months off of DP. So it's not a case I really worked on. It was just a regular question that I think will forever stand out to me. That is so funny. One of the more interesting, yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So tell me now I have so many questions. Okay. So desire, what exactly, how do you get involved with that for someone who is curious? Like, okay. Is it, so you said you can go and like get intimate with someone in different areas. Like what, what's the whole, I want to know the whole experience. It's very cool. So it is an all-inclusive couples-only resort, and it is clothing optional throughout the resort, like not in the restaurants, obviously. But it's more than clothing optional. It's it's erotic themed, meaning that like you're just people are feeling sexy, and there are areas of the resort, two areas, a, a big, huge, huge jacuzzi with four poster beds around it, up up raised. There, there's there's two resorts, so they're slightly different. But the and and in the jacuzzi area around the beds, you can play. You can you know play with your hands, play with your mouth, have sex, do whatever it is you want to do. And you can close the sheer curtains if you want, or somebody might say like, you know, do you want to share a bed? And you'll, you could say no, they've got lots of clean towels and sheets everywhere. Just a plethora of clean sheets, which is, you know, my biggest highlight is the, the cleanliness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there's a playroom as well. And it's, you know, like they have sexy entertainment and people dance all night long. And it's, it's just a, a really interesting experience. I would say like, I'm often sort of on the younger end of who's there. I guess that's changing over the years, (laughs) but, but you know, the average age and it really varies from week to week. So like they have sexy young and wild in August where it's a little bit younger, but I'd say the average age is like 
in the 40 to 50 range with some people in their 20s and 30s and some people older than that, of course. But it's just, it's, it was a life changer for me. The first time I went there, I was 26 years old as the youngest person there. I probably was the youngest person there. And I just learned so much about my body and nudity and felt I learned to be comfortable in my skin because I saw these women who were like so much older and just so comfortable in their skin. I remember looking at them and, say, and thinking to myself, whatever she's got, that's what I want. It's not a, bo- a specific body type I want. It's not, you know, abs. It's like that confidence. And and I, I know it was a life changer for me because I, I realized that like life is too short not to love my body and derive pleasure from my body. And it really changed my perspective of aging. And I, I don't know, it's, it's just, it was a real life changer for me. And I've worked with them for years. I go down there and I facilitate workshops, but I, I promote, not promote them, but I, I bring them up as an option for people, because I think it can change the way you feel about nudity, change the way you look at sex to see real life. Sex is a a life altering experience. You can study it in books. You can read all the studies like I do, but that pales in comparison to seeing it in the flesh and seeing real people do what they want to do, not what they're paid to do or not what they have to do for the camera, but their own pleasure. It's just, yeah, just a really, really interesting and rich experience. That is so interesting. Would you recommend going solo? Would you recommend going with a partner? Like your first time, did you go solo or did you go with a partner when you were? So I it, you said it actually, it actually is couples only. So you okay, have only to be couple. a okay. couple to go. I think during Sexy Young and Wild in August, maybe they let threesomes go. But I went, I went with my partner who is now my husband. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's awesome. So when you had talked about being comfortable in your body, I feel like when I, so I was in a sorority in college and we had like a chat and it was so interesting to me how many girls had said they were uncomfortable with their body during sex and that they couldn't have an orgasm with a partner or they'd never orgasmed. And for me, not an issue, but I was surprised how many people who are like in college had not experienced an orgasm. What are like some ways that you think like getting comfortable with your body with yourself and then also a partner? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, spending more time naked, we do have some research showing that nudists have a more positive body image than those of us who are always wearing clothes. So, and really like ridding ourselves of of the messages in the fashion industry, because they're so focused on like accentuate this, minimize that. And um, I find that so frustrating. It's so cultural too, because it's very like, you know, Eurocentric standards of beauty. We used to be trying to make our butts small. Now all of a sudden butts are in, in, in the in the West among white people, but butts have always been in among many cultures. So I think yeah. that we need to really kind of look at the way the fashion industry affects us. And then also, and I, I don't know who coined this term, so I, I would like to give credit and, and acknowledge knowledge that it's not mine, but changing our digital diet matters so much. Whom are you following? And what are the messages they're putting out there about what a body should look like? So, and then like other things, you know, just changing your negative self-talk and not complaining about your body, try and go a day without saying something or, or thinking something negative about your body. And when your friends are negative about their bodies, it's contagious. Body image is contagious. If you speak disparagingly about your body, I'm more likely to think and speak disparagingly about mine. And so we need to be kind of, you know, cutting these conversations off. It's something that I do. You know, if people are complaining about their bodies, I'll talk about what I like about my body. And they look at me like I have eight ears, but it is so subversive to like your own body. And I appreciate my body. I like the way it looks. Yes. But I just like that it's it's the vessel that carries me through life. It's the vessel that lets me climb a mountain. It's the vessel that lets me throw a football or toss a frisbee or whatever it is you're into. Do yoga, dance, dance, move. So, yeah. um, I, you know, cultivating 
a positive or at least a neutral relationship with your body goes a long way around sex in in the bedroom. That's amazing. So for someone who is having like trouble reaching an orgasm either by themselves or with a partner, what are some tips? Like, I feel like it's funny too. Like there's like this weirdness around like masturbation too. Like girls are like, I don't masturbate. I'm like, I don't know how you get through a day. But <laughs> like I, I think it's funny that there's still like this kind of weird, I don't know. It's almost seen as like shameful. Is that like a place that you would start to like for girls to start reaching orgasms or men for that matter too? You know, there are so many reasons people don't have orgasms and some of them are practical. We just don't know what to do. So it may mean that you need to stop shoving things inside and use a vibrator on the outside. It may mean that you need to learn to get to know your body and understand that the clitoris isn't a button. That's only the head of the clitoris. It has legs and bulbs on the inside. It has all the parts of a penis. It gets erections. Sometimes it's just a piece of education. Sometimes it's about dealing with these intrusive thoughts. And sometimes it's about relinquishing sexual shame. It's actually Masturbation May right now. And Masturbation May was named after the U.S. former Surgeon General, Dr. Jocelyn Elders, who worked under the Clinton administration. And when she talked about masturbation, she was forced to resign in late 1993. And so in her honor for 25 years, they've been celebrating Masturbation May. And so this is a great time to slow down, don't get hung up on whether or not you orgasm, but just kind of enjoy the process, touch yourself in new ways. And and if you do feel shame, that's when you want to go back to some of your sexual values and messages and start examining them. So you can do this on your own, or you can do it with a therapist or a counselor, even a sex coach, and really think about, okay, so what did I learn about sex growing up? Where did I get these messages? Do I value the sources of these messages? Are these messages rooted in fact and science, or are they rooted in in mythology or you know, conflating morality with sexuality? And what did my parents tell me? What did friends tell me? What did teachers tell me? And really start to go back and look at some of those messages so that maybe we can retool them and think think about sex in a, in a different way. Now, sometimes it's not just about sexual shame. It can be about personal value and personal shame, feeling like I'm not entitled to pleasure. And then, and if you think about like the context of a college age woman who's not having orgasms, I think a big part of it is that there's this pressure to perform in bed and sex is, is an experience as opposed to a performance. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with performing if you're into that, but if the Mm -hmm. performing leading to pressure, well, we know that pressure is really the antithesis of pleasure. So can you focus more on yourself and not worry about nine ways to please your partner? Really just masturbate more, touch yourself more, rub yourself on a chair or on a couch or on a pillow. Don't necessarily emulate exactly what you see in porn because there are so many different ways to get yourselves off. Is there any like toys or like things that you love, like anything that people can go buy? I've used like the, have you ever heard of the Tori's dog? The what? It's called Tori's dog. No. Okay. You're going to have to look it up. It has like 13,000 reviews on Amazon, but it like blew up on Twitter. And I don't know why exactly it happened, but it's like hot pink and has like, it has like stuff to insert and then also like kind of like a clit sucker. But it's like one of, I guess, one of the top vibrators. I was so shocked. There, there are so many, like one brand I would recommend is the Womanizer and the Womanizer is the one they developed. It's a terrible name, I know, but they developed the suction type 
toy. It's actually not suction, it's pleasure air. So it releases these tiny little bursts of air that come in a wave and you fit the little opening over the head of your clit and it feels like kissing and sucking and flicking. So the Womanizer toys are really, really great. WeVibe makes like a huge range of toys I love. If you like something small, then I'd go for the WeVibe Tango. And if you want something that's internal and external, then I would go for the WeVibe Nova, which has like an arm that goes in to hit the G spot and small arm on the outside to hit the clit. And it's really cool because it's integrated with like an app so you can control it from your app. And so you can even give a partner control from you know, if they're in Albuquerque and you're you're in Portland, yeah. you know, they you can share. So it's really cool stuff. Oh, that's really cool. Any lubes that you really like? Yeah, so I, I I do work with Astroglide. So they have a whole range of lubes and they're available at, you know, your local grocery store or drugstore or at any sort of like department store, or like discount store like Target or Walmart. And they have the paraben and glycerin free version that's in the blue box or the organics one that's in the green box. Or if you just like something thicker, then they have a silicone X version. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, well, before we wrap up, I have two last questions. The first is what's your favorite drink? We like love to talk about booze on here. Do you have like a specific yes. drink or anything that you're obsessed with? Well, I'm a red wine drinker and I would say obsessed with red wine would be an appropriate description. I, I drink red wine and I drink champagne. That's pretty much what I drink. I mean, I drink hard liquor, but I got to like stay away from it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if I do drink hard liquor, I drink, I drink cold vodka. But I like a huge bodied red wine actually from nearby you, like it's something from Washington State or from Napa. I drink a lot of reds. I have a shipment coming in from Maltolcino, Italy <laughs> this week. <laughs> so I'm Amazing. a big red wine. I'm a big red wine drinker. Yeah. And then what is a book, podcast, or resource that you love? Like something that's brought you a lot of value that you look to? So you talk about beauty, business, booze, and boys. So from the business perspective, Adam Grant's Give and Take, I thought that was a really important read for me. And he really, he's, I think, the youngest Wharton professor in history. And he talks about, he and his team talk about the fact that givers prosper. And the more that you give, the more that comes back. And it doesn't always feel that way in the beginning. So this was very, like, kind of important for me personally. And yeah, I learned a lot from Adam Grant's work. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Pimp yourself out. Let's hear all of your handles, website, Insta, where everyone can follow you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm Sex with Dr. Jess on all social media and doctor is just DR. And my podcast is the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. You're a doll. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Even when